0: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. I am absolutely thrilled to have on Dave West, CEO and product owner at Scrum.org. Uh, Dave was a recent guest on our product chat webinar series. We had several hundreds of people join us, uh, and several others watching us live stream on YouTube as we filled up our room, uh, all wanting to kind of unwind the relationship between product owner and product manager. And it was such a great webinar, such engaged audience that we simply didn't get through all the great questions we received. So that's what we're going to do today. Welcome, Dave.
1: Hi, well, thank you, Rebecca, for inviting me. Uh, It's good to be talking about this. And yeah, it seemed like people actually are are interested in some of the challenges around these uh, two sets of responsibilities.
0: So let's first level set for those who weren't lucky enough to join us that day. uh, Give us the kind of the background on Dave and scrum.org. And then sort of really what, you know, the umbrella topic that we dug into there.
1: Hey yes, yeah, so so for the people that don't know me, my name's Dave. Dave West. I run. I'm the CEO here at Scrum.org. We're a, an organization that was created by one of the creators of Scrum, um, uh, Ken Schwaber, and our mission is to help. Um, people and teams solve complex problems. We have a trainer community of about 350 trainers throughout the world. And we have um, people doing uh, assessments, certifications, passing tests, and, and a body of knowledge around Scrum. We have you know, about 1.3 million people come to our website every, every month to use and to talk about Scrum and to debate some of the uh, nuances and challenges that, uh, that Scrum has created in their organization.
0: Awesome. And again, you know, this is a topic that every time we cover with you is, is so popular and it's, it's, uh, it's, somewhat, it's somewhat simple and complex, right? You, there are some real simple ways of thinking about it, but when it gets down to it and we're really digging into how it works within an organization, it can seem kind of complex. So we're going to help people uh, see a path through some of that complexity by hitting some of the questions that we got. Are you ready?
1: Oh, yeah. Let, yes. I'll do my best, Rebecca.
0: All right. Ah, so many good questions to choose from, but we're going to start with, uh, let's see, I just completed product development where we used MSD DevOps and Sprint meetings for the first time, and I was really frustrated by the lack of visibility into the critical path. How do we fix that?
1: So. So um, I'm I'm not totally sure what the question is, but let me see if I understand it. So they're basically they're they're doing these sprints. So this this person's doing these sprints to go into one sprint, the next sprint, the next sprint. So Scrum fundamentally the the cadence of planning is this idea of the, the 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 sprint. The idea because you're working in a complex situation that you don't necessarily know what you know until you know you don't know it. So you focus on a small chunk, doing a small chunk of work. That's a sprint two weeks can't be longer than a month could be a week could be a day I suppose but um, that doesn't sound very practical Um, and you review it and then that allows you to plan the next sprint based on something called a sprint review, and then how you're working, that's called a retrospective, and that's how the process works, right? And the, the question seems to be that, well, then, hang on a minute. I want to see the critical path. How does these all these sprints come together for the release? How does it all fit together? And um, that's actually a really, really fair question it is true that you still need to have scrum doesn't replace the need to have some sort of roadmap or plan you need to know where you're going what it replaces is the the day-to-day how you're going to get there and it gives you opportunity with the sprint review to look and see how far you've got or how you've not got as it were which is the most likely thing it encourages you to deliver uh, a working increment that can be used by users. So get to the customer earlier so that you get that feedback into your process earlier. So ultimately, you have this roadmap or this broader plan. You incrementally make progress towards it. And hopefully, that gives you the ability to refresh that broader roadmap as you learn that, oh, my God, the customer doesn't like this, or it takes us a lot longer to do it like this, or it takes us less time to do it like this. Um, you've never heard that one, though. But the, the you know, so ultimately, I think it gives you this incremental, but you still need to have that broad plan. In fact, in the new Scrum Guide that came out in November, the update to the Scrum Guide, uh, what it highlighted was this thing called product goal. And it clearly both gave, it it sort of positioned the idea of the product product, um, backlog, you have this product goal. Now, so you can think about that being the sort of instantiation of that roadmap or a certain element of it. So then you continually every sprint review your product goal and your product backlog and see what you should do next. Hopefully that the order and the structure of that is informed by your broad product roadmap. So, you know, it's like we, we inch forward sprint by sprint, but we do have a destination in mind throughout. Does that make sense, Rebecca?
0: It does. And I do, I mean, I do think this is a common thing. We also hear from stakeholders, right? Like the, I, yeah. I feel like either I can see something that's coming sometime in the next year, or I know it's coming next week and how to, how to tie those together. The idea of the product goal as, as sort of a, a translation point is not the right way but from the roadmap item to what we're accomplishing here. So it's not just, we release these items. It's still talking about the market problem we're affecting uh, and fixing in pieces gives maybe a, a really nice way of finding that balance. Because it, it can be hard when you're, you know, you're really focused on the next two weeks uh, uh, or week or day in this crazy world that you've invented uh, <laughs> uh, to see progress towards the big picture. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And
1: what you said there, Rebecca, is really interesting as well. So stakeholders, you know, they 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 get dragged to the sprint review. Hopefully, they want to come, but if not, just use a van and you know, just throw them in the back of it and <laughs> take them to the sprint review. So you've got these stakeholders. Now they're really they've got a really interesting challenge. And so, as a product manager, with you know, or a product owner who's you know brought these people, they they want to. They've got this sort of. They know what the problem is that broad product goal we're trying to solve, or they have a view of it. They have their view of it, and they're seeing some progress against it hopefully at the sprint but the question is how much progress should there be how much you know they they, we often find they have challenges like well hang on a minute you're just giving us this little bit what about the big thing? Well, we're not doing that now. So they get annoyed about that. Or they concentrate so much on the little bit, they forget about providing feedback to the big bit. So as a product manager or a product owner, somebody that's facilitating this conversation, which I, I do feel that um, product, one of the roles or one of the stances, I think would be a cool way of describing it, of a product manager, a good agile product manager, is to act as a concierge to your stakeholders, right? You, you don't know everything about the product. You've got a develop team or development teams working on, on this, you know, lots of scrum teams doing the work, but you know how to facilitate a conversation between the stakeholder and those people to really get to the to the problems, to get to the understanding, to get to the, this is good, this is bad, oh, don't like that, you know, and so you have to facilitate that. So that, that takes skill, and it's mm. really, really hard to do, because, you know, you've got to manage both that short-term needs, long-term needs, because ultimately, we care about the product goal. Yes, we're making incremental progress to it, so we care deeply about this at this moment, but we have to always bear that in mind. So you have to sort of wear two hats, which is, which is challenging.
0: And I think a really important thing that sometimes when people are really busy or really in in the details, they resent the time uh, it takes for some of those communication points. But fundamentally, that is such a core part of the product manager and product owner's job is to do that communication. And you do yourself and all your teams a disservice when you don't fully lean into that and invest in it to do it well.
1: Yeah. And I, I recently can speak from personal experience. We had a program a product that we were developing that was I thought was fabulous and I was acting as the sort of like the product owner and the gatekeeper and 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 I didn't put enough time into that into Mm. getting the right stakeholders and then when we were just about to relaunch uh, an MVP, uh, the second version of the MVP, they were like hang on. It does this and we have to do that and there was a whole economic variability area that I hadn't spent as much time keeping people on board uh, and and didn't get that feedback earlier and dropped yeah and and we ended up cancelling the product now we got lots of good learning and good stuff out of it which we're using in other places but it it ended up blowing up because I did not do a good enough job doing exactly what you said Rebecca
0: yeah we unfortunately, I think I'll have a skeleton like that in our closet. <laughs> That's why we can speak from the pain. All right. Here is a question. Uh, man, it's such a fundamental question about how, how of this all works uh, in an agile environment is the, how do you balance the time needed to understand the customer problem uh, and the requirements of the scrums daily rituals? How do you both be, uh, responsive inside and outside
1: focused so there's there's a couple of questions sort of hidden in that question i think ultimately you know scrum isn't shouldn't be a big overhead 15 minutes a day if you can't find fit i mean i spend 15 minutes a day arguing i used to before covid arguing with the my local coffee guy you know and so i, I don't 15 minutes isn't a massive overhead the what what's interesting though is you know, when you do sprint planning, which is obviously, you know, longer can be, you know, four hours on a, on, 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 depending on the size of your sprint, you are deciding what you're doing. And as you start work, maybe the, when you learn stuff, you've made all these commitments in the sprint plan. Now, by the way, that, that isn't, true but you don't make commitments at that level because you don't know the work until you start doing it right but people often perceive because they've made that plan they're like oh my god the plan can't change and then as you discover stuff finding time to check with stakeholders finding getting their feedback changing stuff because of that can be a challenge so I think there's a few things one if the events are burdensome then you're not doing them right (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think that's the feeling, you know, if you're not losing weight on your diet, you're not, you're not doing the right diet. You know. So, um, um, so number one, so make sure you step back from the, from the process from your, from the sprint or the, the, the thing that you're working in and actually look at it and say, how can we make these more valuable? Scrum informs us, but we must instantiate it in our context, number one. Number two, make sure if you've got a large amount of unknown in a sprint because of customers because of then don't fill it (laughs) do do enough get started you know you can always go back and add more stuff if you need to this isn't your one chance now hopefully you can articulate a goal called a sprint goal that uh, that goal can then inform what you do bring into that sprint later and what you start with and how you manage uh the work the the last thing i i just want to share is something that when i was running engineering and product at, at my previous organization we did we in any one sprint we had a percentage of time for immediate work, H1s, you'd call that if you're using some sort of horizon planning tool. We had a percentage of the time for H2s and a percentage of time for H3s. Now, guess what? We often, that was a very small percentage at some moments. And in fact, sometimes we ended up saying, no, we're not gonna do that. But we had that mechanism in sprint planning to step back and say, should we be looking just at the work for this immediate release What about doing some spikes for the next release? And can we spend a couple of hours doing some crazy stuff to work out what our future looks like? And we did that every single sprint. We didn't make it the purview of the product owner. We had a product owner, but product manager only. We made it a team activity. And and it was incredibly powerful, um, even though it annoyed the CEO sometimes because we weren't delivering on the cadence that he wanted, but uh, it ended up serving us well, right? Absolutely.
0: The results, right? The ends justify the means. Um, okay, so we have lots of questions that are sort of about ratios and structures on teams, uh, right? So uh, the first okay. one was, uh, Is can a Scrum team backlog tie to more than one product? And if so, how do you decide what to focus on?
1: Okay, so can it turn to one product? So one product. Okay, let's. Kind of more than one. So the product backlog, by its very name, is about one product. Now, but there's a little bit of semantics here. How you cast that product is your choice. And and, and this highlights an interesting issue that, that we have. The best, most successful teams that I've ever worked with and ever been involved in, not only are aligned to one product, but they're aligned to one set of customer needs. Now, that might be multiple customers. It might be, you know, I I, I don't know how it tends to work out, but they have a very clear boundary of the help that they're giving the world. They have a clear mission. They have a clear um, sort of model of their position in the world with respect to their customers and the outcomes. And if you grab one of them and ask them, what are they doing? They can usually, though they use different words, clearly articulate the value that they're they're Stuff that they're working on adds to that to those outcomes. Now, that is the fun that they're the most successful teams. The least successful teams with Scrum, maybe not least successful, but a a lot less successful teams from Scrum, tend to have a product backlog that really isn't a product backlog. What it is, it's a team backlog Mm. of all the work that their bosses want them, this team to do. And it's on multiple products, multiple systems, etc. Now, you may argue that, that that therefore the product is not the product the customer uses but the product is the team and you can get all semantic on that however what i find with those sort of teams is it's very hard to see value when you ask them well, what you know you, what do you do when you ask them about the value that they're creating they talk about the work they're doing and there's this sort of like jump between work mm. and value they say somebody else worries about the value I just do this job really well. And it's and it's expressed in a product backlog. And then we we pick the first chunk of it that we decided was the most highest priority, or somebody helped tell us, and the product manager facilitated this. And then that's what the sprint is, blah, blah, blah. So that's a really interesting. Now, is that bad? Well. Well, it could be. I mean, ultimately, if the tasks don't necessarily translate into the ultimate value, then that is really bad. So if the person that made that magical decision about what work this team needs to do is making mistakes, then that can be really bad. But the more important reason why it's bad, in my opinion, is motivation, clarity, and innovation. The you know autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? Dan Pink's work, we are all very familiar with that. You know, this this idea of purpose, this comes back to the sort of like understanding how you fit. As soon as you understand that, you then have the ability to innovate because that gives you some guardrails or a direction. So teams are the place where innovation happens. It's not a lone person nowadays. The future is about teams directed by amazing product managers but, and, and the greatest teams are ones where the product manager and the teams are, are working, hence the reason why we have this concept of a scrum team, um, working together and they're innovating. Because then you've got seven, eight, nine heads thinking about this as opposed to one head. So, so, the, so the, ultimately, can a product backlog serve multiple products? Of course it can. I mean, you know, but it's not products backlog, but it, it depends how you cast the product. However, is that necessarily the best thing for your teams? Is that the best thing for, you know, we, we understand Little's Law, we understand efficiency and focus. We, you know, is that the best way? Is it better to break teams down and have them more aligned to less products that are more consistent in terms of customers and outcomes. The biggest challenge, I think, Rebecca, and maybe you agree or don't, for product managers today is the alignment, how they structure, what their account, what their sort of domain of change is, what their alignment to the customer is. If they're aligned to the software rather than the customer and that this person, are you responsible for this function that lives in these 57 products? then it makes it very hard for them. If they're aligned, however, to the customer and this part of their business process or value chain or whatever, then it makes it much easier for them to have a vision, have a measure its success. All of these things become easier. So short answer. Yeah, you can have multiple products. Long answer. Yeah, I'd avoid it if you possibly can. Obviously, cut the suit to suit the cloth, depending on your context.
0: Yeah. And I also think uh, there's a little bit of a difference between multiple products that are part of a single solution, right? Mm, yeah. There's sort of aspects of one part, because again, then I have a common goal and a common yes. uh, customer base, right? There's complexity there, but it's totally different than I've got four products serving four different masters. and Exactly. Four different pieces. Yeah. And that's
1: even true inside a product as well, by the way. And now some would argue that the product has outlived its Purpose then because it's evolved, you know, to this massively complicated overloaded <laughs> thing, as many products do. I remember those days where you're like, we use it for this, we use it for this, we use it for this, but it was actually built for that. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> every time you every time you go to a bank probably is exactly what the situation is <laughs> as or um, when you go to try to change your ticket, you go to the t- checking counter and talk to the and they're typing all these bizarre codes and things. And you're like, How you do it? Well, because we had to change this segment and, you know, and we had to do that. So now, so, but you're exactly right. As long, the product backlog ultimately is the embodiment of that goal and the, the boundary. Nice to have a product boundary because that means you have a customer, you have a boundary, you know what value means, you can measure it. You, it's nice to have that and uh, and it, exactly as you said.
0: All right, now, so we have another question, uh, kind of in that ratio spot where, We are, uh, as a team, we are struggling getting ahead of delivering on the product requirements. And so, Dev is proposing to split into two teams. Mm -hmm. And the question is can products support two teams? If they have one product owner, how does that work? What is the sort of extendability uh, that way across multiple
1: teams? I wrote a book about this called Nexus, uh, which is all about how you use Scrum in a scaling context with respect to scaling the number of teams for one product. Um, so it's different to safe and less and all these things which are more organizational sort of change kind of models. It's more about this. So the short answer is yes. Now, the, que- the, the you, you can one product owner can serve multiple teams, no problem. Um, That those teams all go to one product backlog, though they have their own sprint backlogs. The other important idea is that you integrate those product teams, the work that they do frequently, so that your sprint review is actually a little bit of a uh, a multi-team event, actually. Ideally, it is a multi-team event. Retrospective, you want to keep separate because you know you don't want to air your dirty how you all work together, laundry in public. But uh, you should definitely bring that together. Now, the the desire to split a team or to to split teams or not, is should be influenced by a few things. So teams are really good at high fidelity communicate well. With the right support, it's designed around high fidelity communication there. You know, there's rapid connections. And that means that they can't grow to more than sort of 12 people. Honestly, a team bigger than 12 isn't really a team even if we can pretend now this isn't an absolute measure because it depends on the team the maturity maybe they you know they they share brains or something I don't know maybe they're all clones maybe they're all (laughs) from the same family actually that probably would mean you'd want to split it but anyway that's a, a different thing but but generally you so so it breaks down so if you're going to break it break your team's up one you have to accept that that comes at a cost But you may have to, you know. It all goes back to the mythical man month by Fred Brooks, right? You know, the if 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 something if ten people it take ten team ten people working on a project takes uh, a week. uh, How long would twenty people? Probably two weeks. You know, the 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 the, the sort of a misnomer of throwing people at it. You know. Now, of course, sometimes you need to because of specialist skills, because of expertise, etc., and that works. So be very careful when you create multiple teams because the, the you, if there's massive dependency between those teams, you're going to end up in a bit of a mess really. Um, now, What we tend to encourage in in Nexus and and practices like this, obviously, though I wrote the book, I didn't invent it, this has been practiced for, 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 for years, is we tend to try to do something called verification or bringing things together frequently. We try to, having one product backlog, create transparency by having one sprint review, ensure that everybody knows when they've mucked up. So we try to do things like that to bring these teams together. Uh, Now, one product owner, one product manager working with these teams, the challenge they have is they can't be everywhere at once. So that means that they have to basically become more of a leader and less of a doer often, providing direction, communicating it, you know, spending a lot of time talking about these things and even documenting these things, horrible thought, rather than just relying on the team, grabbing them at the right moment when it's needed.
0: Well, I think that that's uh, that's there's so much great stuff there about you know thinking about the size and the complexity and just the importance of keeping those connected, right? So that you are moving towards one product and one goal. Um, what are what are thoughts about having movement between team members? If you have four teams focused on one product, really. I- uh,
1: can you move teams of people around yes but not during a sprint can you have somebody on more to more more than one team yes you can do all of these things Um, and you even could move people during a sprint the challenge with that I find is it becomes a bit messy and hard for the people Uh, focus homeness or whatever which I think COVID has taught us that we are by very nature animals that like other animals <laughs> we're not like solitary we're not like that that you know that i always picture the sort of lion and the you know sort of on its own we like our pride around us you know as it were so moving teams can be very challenging with regard to that however there's no reason why at planning you couldn't restructure the teams now obviously we've we've read um the five dysfunctions of a team and all so storming norming you know there is an overhead to this however in very mature organizations where there's a consistent culture across um, uh, the whole organization the movement of people in throughout teams is actually uh, incredibly beneficial because you get that sort of different perspective you get to learn stuff it's like pairing you know the 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 best pairings I've ever seen are between product managers and testers product managers and product marketers you know it gives you a different point of view right so moving's okay it comes at a cost and just remember you've got a great time to review that which is the retrospective which then you can feed that back into the process and go, oh, that didn't work well. We brought Bob in and all he did was shout at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bob. Poor Bob. He's, well, he's, you know, he's very, he's got a lot of anger issues. <laughs>
0: all right. Let's dig into some roles questions. There's always some of these, right? Uh, the first one was a difference between business owner versus product owner
1: oh my god well I, unfortunately it depends because there's no well defined definition in you know it might be in wikipedia but i wouldn't necessarily trust it um so the the the, the emphasis of the product owner is the thing that they're working on the product now that the business may be may have multiple products, but also there's a lot more to a product than the product. There's selling it, there's accounting for it, there's all of these other things that aren't normally the responsibility of a, of a product manager or a product owner, and that tends to be the responsibility of the business. However, the best product managers and product owners tend to have a really good idea. People say that product managers are the voice of the customer. I'm like, yeah but they're kind of got multiple person. They're like, they're a bit multiple personality because they're the voice of the customer, the voice of the business, the voice of the constraints, you know, whether that's um, the constraints of the, you know, the organization, the culture, the whatever, the mission of the organization, regulatory, all of this kind of stuff. They're the embodiment of all of that. Now, the business tends to represent the business. You know, customers tend to represent customers. The legal people tend to represent represent legal people, whatever that they are. You know, the accountants represent accountants. You bring the product manager and product owner brings all of those together and makes decisions about, and that's what value is. Ultimately, it's the trade-offs between all of those things. Uh, usually the first few times wrong as well, but that is their job. So uh, should they be only, you know, one of those things? Should they be just all about customers? They care deeply about the customer. Yes. But you, you can't build a perfect product for the customer without the, managing the constraints around that perfect product. You have to be very wary of the economic reality of those constraints or the physical reality. So anyway, so it's all of those things. So the difference, primarily, I see it as the business person represents the business. The product owner represents a lot more than just the business.
0: Yes, excellent. All right. Uh, product marketing's role in Agile Scrum. That's
1: really interesting. Um, so that's a really interesting question because we're seeing actually Agile used a lot and scrum used a lot in product marketing teams now in fact so much oh i probably can't say that a secret thing we haven't done yet anyway maybe one <laughs> day there might be a class <laughs> you never know <laughs> i was like damn it you see that's the reason why when i worked for mi6 i was always in trouble anyway the, oh my god i shouldn't even <laughs> say that should i You see i'm just not designed for this anyway the um <laughs> the, so number one You know, a lot of product marketing organizations use Scrum to manage their product marketing campaigns, the creation of, you know, thought leadership, materials, website, blah, blah, blah. My, I actually like that when it's not a separate organization, when it's a a chapter or a guild inside an organization, but where the product marketeers live very deeply within the Scrum teams, because ultimately a product is useless if it doesn't get marketed, given out. Right? The 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 benefit of having people with expertise and experience um inside the teams it helps inform how that product's a bit how that product is built the the distinction between product marketing and product is often very gray you know is that product documentation or is that marketing material is that you know so ideally i love to see those people in now in most large organizations it's layers and layers of you know, of, of of complexity so you get product marketing is sort of like what we described as system product marketing, the people that build the generic data sheets, the generic this, the generic that, the website copy for the main website. And then you have geo product marketing that live in separate teams outside. And then of course, you invite some of those geo product marketers to your sprint reviews and marketing material is part of your definition of done and part of the increment. So they literally see it incrementally being built. And then they go, uh, I don't like that if they're from England or whatever that's rubbish that is um, and they like because that's the English geo guys and, and then and the product marketers are why and there's an interesting and like well and that, that's really really useful so um, I love teams that have product mind now you're going to say well then if you have all the people that you need in what you know on a team doesn't the team get really big well potentially so you then have to think about well, do we need that in one one person there? Or can actually the that product marketing person work with multiple, be a shared service across multiple teams, helping them build the materials necessary? And that's all about agility, right? And it's all about scale. Because suddenly then you get this sort of like this competency being expressed in many like security a lot of people talk about security in the same way you know should that be yes in a small organization that might there might be on a scrum team in a large organization there may be a shared person whose job is to help all of the teams become secure or do more security stuff the same with product marketing the same with testing the same with any of those you know data analytics etc etc and, um, and experiment with some things. Try different compositions and see if it works or if it doesn't work.
0: But I, I think that's a really great point, though, to think of the advantages of product marketing being more integrated into oh. this process. Uh, the points of view, the perspective. And also, like, we've all done it, right? We've all seen it where the the product is done and then there's this <laughs> giant delay because it's like, well, did, did anyone tell them it was coming
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, How do we talk about this? thing? Right, what is yeah. it again? Why yes. is it called
0: that? Yeah. Right. And being able to kind of wa- uh, be part of that, I think it, it really makes uh, product marketing a much better voice of the product, also to the rest of the organization and in the, in the sales and marketing. It's a much more coordinated pieces than a than a, like a firm handoff because that's just not what we see these days
1: yeah handoffs are a disaster but let's not belittle the vo- the value that a good product marketing has mm-hmm. in a team and in fact this this isn't about getting rid of product marketing this is about amplifying its use yes because because there's so many products that if you'd have just thought about how people perceive it when they try to buy it and get access to it that they're just It's just wrong, the naming, the structures, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that can help to influence, you know, when when you write that data sheet after the event, how many times have you thought, oh, why doesn't it do that? Wouldn't it make more sense to do it Mm -hmm. like this? You can't help it. It's a fantastic value. And sharing that skill, getting teammates, you know, and, and I know as a, you know, maybe I'm a hardcore software engineer and it's a software product that I'm building. I'm like, last thing I want to do is think about marketing really? Well, do you want your product to be used? Oh, I don't care about that. I just want to elegance <laughs> of the software. Well, the it, software isn't, I think Steve Jobs proved that elegance is, is less valuable than, than, than usability, you know? And, and it's, it's those sort of things, though. So every time I try to use my bank, you know, my credit card at a supermarket or whatever, and their product's automatically different and unusable and I'm like why don't we there's a very interesting relationship between UX and product marketing that Mm -hmm. I think is something that we need to explore more deeply because I think there are they're the same side of the different sides of the same coin in my opinion yeah,
0: and I think also you know we, we always talk about product marketing being the experts on the buyer part of the customer, right? Yeah. And, and you know you can shorthand it and say, well, you you build for users and you sell the buyers, but but that is uh, I think that's a little bit naive in the complexity of what those those processes look like uh, and how we need to to approach them. So bringing that point of view in nice. as well is. Very important.
1: I, I so that's that's awesome. I've not heard that before, and I, I I love it because bringing the buyer in, the relationship between the buyer and the consumer, is huge. You mm-hmm. know, and you know, organization like, like Atlassian, for instance, they had a they did not have an enterprise strategy until very you know. So what what we saw, what I saw from just looking from the outside when I was an analyst at Forrester, is I saw basically islands of Atlassian everywhere in the organizations and never brought together. And ultimately the, uh, that both hurt the customer because they were so different and everybody was just arguing about which instance they needed to work to. And it didn't work well for Atlassian because they didn't, because they were get basically being overwhelmed by a customer because of that. So having that buyer persona represented earlier in the development of products, I think is incredibly powerful. Now how they do that, depends on the situation whether it's some sort of shared service whether it's but at least they need to go to the sprint reviews
0: yeah yep absolutely all right we're going to finish up with some a couple of questions around sort of change and implementation first all right uh this person currently works as a scrum master unfortunately the product owners assigned to the stakeholder by the stakeholders do not have the knowledge or uh competencies uh required to be one What would you recommend to start to guide them in the path
1: oh wow that's super super hard and obviously the scrum master that falls on the scrum master that's one of their they serve the 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 scrum team they serve the product owner and they serve the organization so they so they so (laughs) that's challenging so what i would probably do so the most important single thing that a product owner can provide for the team is a clearly articulated direction so the product goal is a manifestation of that it then gets decomposed into product backlog items so the first thing that i would work on with any product owner that was new to this was i'd try to find out why not why they were uh why they don't know what's going on but why why the product is what's the purpose what's the goal and i would try to get that get them to focus on that and that means that they would have to then start in the case of this example working with other stakeholders and so the first thing that the scrum master would do is try to get the product owner to understand why uh, and then try to then find the people that know why then try to make that transparent to the whole scrum team or teams if there's multiple teams and then we can use that to start building the backlog or informing the backlog if we've already got one so that we can start making the backlog the product backlog more outcome oriented because that's crucial as well. So but so then what we're doing is we're leveraging the product owner to get the direct provide the direction for the team and taking an advantage of the team to do everything else to fill in all the gaps, because at least they know where we're going, what the mission is, what the why. And if you do that first, I think you're in a really, really good pos- position. Product owner, product manager, really hard job, because you're yeah. managing, you've you got to be I mean, people look at you as though you're the expert in everything around the customer, the buyer, the organization, getting money, uh, you know, testing or everything. And you're really not. But what you can be an expert in is the why. And if you invest in that, then everything else just starts to come from that.
0: I think that's such a, a smart advice. I think a lot of people would would start the other way, right? Right. In the details, like oh. make sure they understand all of the, the the processes and the and the sort of rituals and those pieces. But by but starting at top A, that's that's where the value of that role is. That that's yeah. the main goal. And and when the team sees a value of a person, even if they're um, inconsistent in some of the execution of their pieces, that only that makes the team buy into that person, and that that also gives that person um confidence to grow into, right? You, yeah. They have a role, they have a, a point of view. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's much smarter than trying to go, okay, let's make sure they understand all the bits and pieces. No, let's make sure that the core value that we need that role to bring is first and foremost.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the, yeah, the detail of always oh, a sprint review, how do you do story points, all that sort of stuff, who cares? If the product owner can just bring that clarity and, br- and bring those guardrails, then everything else will will come. And uh, and it's also important for the scrum master to spend time with that product owner, to make them feel confident, to be able to, to give that psychological safety, to really have an opinion when they don't feel confident because they've been thrown into the position without the support. Because, you know, find out where their boundaries are and then help them work out how to be successful in this. Um, yeah, scrum mastering a product owner is requires a, a little bit of, persuasion and direction and and definitely helping them understand the organization they fit in so uh all fun though
0: <laughs> yes all right so now we're going to talk about championing it in different types of organizations two questions i bet you could even guess which ones but one uh what advice could you provide folks trying to guide or coach organizations out of a waterfall-based approach towards one that includes experimenting with solutions and iteratively delivering value
1: yeah if I, if I only knew that because every organization <laughs> That's the big question <laughs> yeah when I was when I was an analyst at uh, at, at Forrester I coined the term water scrum fall because everybody said they were doing scrum but they were doing it in the context of a waterfall and you're like awesome that works brilliantly uh, I think the, the the most important thing that I would always advocate is getting stuff showing it quickly Getting to done as quickly as possible, demonstrating value quickly. If you can, you know, still accept that you have you, that your traditional organization will want to do loads and loads of planning. Fair enough, whatever they want. But then let's get to the smallest chunk of value as quickly as possible and demonstrate. And then over time, they'll realize that getting that, spending all that time planning and analyzing up front. And and then holding everybody accountable to those tasks becomes less and less relevant as we start delivering value in a more incremental way. So get stuff out as quickly as possible. And that will encourage your leaders to start thinking, you know, um, about risk differently you know they they say well, one of the reasons why waterfall is 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 often adopted conceptually is because we don't we we want to know everything because we are very scared about it and then we want to see progress against it but actually the only progress that really makes sense is the work that is done that delivers value to the to the business to the customers to the outcomes that we seek so trying to get that earlier in the life cycle accepting that you will have to do some planning accepting that you but don't you know, don't invest millions of hours in that, you know, spend the 20% rather than the 80%, then get going and see see where that takes you. Um, I think that's that's the only advice I could, I would give.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we have a, a lot of organizations we work with that are, are large, large enterprise organizations, and, and change can be difficult there, right? You know, you feel like you're steering the cruise boat. But I, I think the idea of creating, uh, even if it's casually, a sort of incubator that uses this kind of approach within a team or on a specific project shows, to your point, starts to build the muscle in the organization. It shows the value, and it shows that the risks that we're afraid of—these sort of boogie monsters, uh, boogeyman monsters—that we have in our head of what will happen if we don't do all the planning—you start to see that that's not the case. Uh, and so it's that it's that small spot that comes big. And and I think honestly, that's often the most effective kind of change as well. Like trying to make a sweeping change. Uh, it is, 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 can be difficult. So, you know, where can you make a difference and which team it, can you guys really focus on?
1: And, the, 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 you know, COVID has been a horrible experience. Obviously, you know, half a million people died in America. It, it's devastating. But the one, it's very small, shining, you know, glimmer of um, light within this whole thing is people accept that they can't plan in the level of rigor that they historically have across a whole 18-month, two-year, by, so now that gives us the latitude, I think, to focus on what we're going to do in the next three months. What are we going to do in the next six sprints? And that, that, I think that gives us the, 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 the support. And frankly, and it also highlights how ridiculous these long-term plans were really to the level of detail that we had them that doesn't mean we can't have goals that doesn't mean we can't have a roadmap that doesn't mean we can't have aspirations but we should be continually incrementally delivering against those goals because we don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow we don't know what the situation is going to be
0: it's that is a hundred percent spot on Dave, right? I mean, just as a, as a member of the executive leadership team, right? Like the way we have to look at our business and steer it, it it's in a much smarter, a shorter period, right? The, the speed at which we need to be able to pivot. And, you know, if you learn anything, it's that I, I can't predict what's going to happen. Uh, and so creating an organization at every level that's agile. Right, from the executive team to the product marketing team to the development teams to two is, is, is really how we're able to respond to shifts, uh, both uh, terrible ones like COVID, but also opportunities. Right? Oh, how definitely. many opportunities, if you step back and you think about it, were you like, man, if we'd just been able to pivot to take advantage of that or to try and see uh, and building that type of organization is, is, is I think what's gonna separate us out Going forward, uh, both to respond to problems and opportunities.
1: I, I agree, Rebecca. And, and, and the jury is still out whether it, this has to be a whole new group of organizations or whether existing organizations really can change to be this. Um, uh, the jury is still out. And uh, I'm hope, I'm a natural optimist. So I, I believe that we have the capacity to reinvent. Uh, our organizations to be more agile from the ground up however it's going to be challenging and we have to step away from that industrial mindset and really focus on the customers focus on the outcomes the work will follow
0: yeah yeah and I mean you you know it's change it's change at every level and change is hard even if in theory you're good but uh, I, I do uh, editorializing here, of course, uh, but it, if if your organization wasn't able to make that shift in mindset during COVID, when it was so critical, it's going to be hard to find a different. Uh, uh, you're either a really behind the curve with with within your industry, or you wonder what it, what is what would it take then to make that shift if something as as monumental as that didn't.
1: Yeah, I, I, exactly. And you talk about going back to normal, but I, I do not believe there will no. be normal. This is a new normal and I'm not sure there is ever going to be a normal. You know, I think uh, I think there's a realization that the, 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 this historic approach of thinking of work as a finite game, as opposed to an infinite game and that means that the the concept of an infant game is people don't win rules change continuously there is no umpire that we know of or there might be but we just don't know of them um sort of you don't win businesses don't win <laughs> they continually incrementally deliver value and uh, and I think we have to step away from that and there's lots of reason you know the the how capital is allocated you know funding is going to have to change how the the role of organizations like product marketing and uh, and all of those are going to have to change the alignment to you know architecture and, and the underlying building blocks of the systems that we use has to change there's lots of things that are going to have to change as you rightly said and that is hard but mm-hmm. uh, it's also exciting yeah because we can build amazing things come on we put a i mean a, a car sized thing on mars you know i mean and it's giving these high definition this drilling holes and stuff. that's a helicopter i mean wow <laughs> if we can do that come on can't yeah. we just improve that insurance app can't we just, you know, can we just, can we just build a, you know, what can we change our banking system so we can have more than two hundred wire transfers? You know, let's come on.
0: All right, Dave. We talked about a bunch of different things today, and this is an area of which your knowledge is is only surpassed by your passion, right? <laughs> so if if you're uh, if if you were going to have people embrace two things starting tomorrow based on what we talked about today, or just based on this concept of sort of, of building these, these agile organizations that can, can pivot and evolve. What are like the two things you want them to think about when they leave?
1: I guess, um, stop, stop, stop managing, start leading. You know, I think, you know, it's all about direction. It's all about guide rails. It's all about, in, in taking this passion and getting it to people that can execute on it infecting oh god we can't use that word anymore i guess but uh, uh instilling this passion in 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 your teams and your individuals so much more important than managing the detail let that happen i mean it has to happen but let it happen uh, i think that's number one and i and i think the other thing is you know sort of like which is connected to that is the relationship with product goal i think you know we it was added to the scrum guide in in no November last year, in November um, 2020, and I think it's the most empowering thing that we can take on board you know it provides us with that ability to lead it 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 takes us away from the sort of minutiae and focuses us on the goal that we're trying to achieve hence its name goal so uh, I think those two things are super crucial and and I guess the other thing is it's let's not get into these fights between product owner and product manager and is that my job description and that who who cares I don't care I I really don't. Product owner Mm -hmm. is all about Scrum. They're the set of accountabilities necessary for being effective with Scrum. Product manager, obviously you guys at Program have a massive list of all those competencies that you need to think about to be successful. You bring those together, deliver value to customers, all's good.
0: Absolutely. All right, thank you, Dave. A genuine pleasure having you on. I'm sure everyone listening feels the same and hopefully we can do it again.
1: I hope so, Rebecca. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. All
0: right. Thanks, everyone. That does it for today's episode. Don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.